0: Welcome to Talking Travel for our sponsor, Travel World on King. Sally Lucas is with us today and Sal, we're off to Canada. Canada first, yes. I thought we're coming on to winter in that part of the world and just thought we'd discuss some of the wonderful things you can do in Canada in the winter months. And also, just to mention the Rocky Mountaineer Rail, which is one of the most famous rail journeys in the world, which travels from Vancouver right through that beautiful Rockies area to either Jasper or Banff, and it's considered, as I said, one of the world's most famous rail journeys. Now, since its inception in 1990, it's actually um, owned. It's a privately owned railway, which people might not re- realise, and it's the largest privately owned passenger rail service in North America. And they keep winning awards all the time as the world's leading travel experience by train, one of the top five trains in the world, etc. So, if you haven't yet done that when you go to Canada, whether it be summer or winter, for that matter. To do a trip on that train is absolutely mind-blowing. Like, put the crossword puzzles and the books aside. I can tell you, your eyes will be glued out that window to spot eagles soaring above mountains or maybe bear spotting or whatever. Just but imagine. Snow-capped mountains, you know, and they're snow-capped all year round, of course, but, I mean, in the winter, everything, all these trees are laden with the snow and all their branches droop, and you've got this beautiful picture. Mm. And, and there's so many things you can do over there. Great for families as well. Um, you can do such... Things as um, a you know, wildlife discovery tour in Jasper, which kids would love, where you get taken out to look for the bears and etc, which would be just fantastic. Um, and you can also do a snow train as well. Now, what they're doing in the winter months that they've got a special train to, co- to you know, cater for the snow in case it's there to that clears it for you as well. Um, there's another one that they call it the zip. Trek Bear Tour in Whistler and you do an incredible two and a half hour journey on a series of cables and suspension bridges and so they're really into adventure, you know, in a a big way. Great for the kids. Yeah, I think it is fantastic. There's also another one, you can do a Banff Ice Walk to a Grotto Canyon where you actually go through into an ice cave. Um, You can do a mountain safari with snowmobiles, Uh, you know, so there's just a whole array of things you can do in winter. Incredible glaciers there too. look, this, and the lakes, and the lakes have different colours. Some of them are this beautiful emerald green. Oh, and blue. blue yeah, yeah, that beautiful blue. and I mean, that whole area is stunningly beautiful. But not to forget the northern lights as well, which are now, from now roughly, they, the Aurora Borealis runs those wonderful lights you see that's a phenomenon of nature with all these wonderful lights and in the, the sky. They're not there all the time. No, it only oh, happens, right. uh, yes, in the northern hemisphere summer. And we have the southern lights. As well, which yeah, happened down have in Antarctica. To go fairly south, I Antarctica. <laughs> I <think> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we won't see it from here, unfortunately. <laughs> nah. But um, you know, Graham, who at Two he's he has just come back from from the Scandinavian area, and he's just experienced seeing the Northern Lights. And he said they were seen earlier and also lower down this year. And this has been the report that all the scientists and astro, you know, astrologists are saying that this year is going to be one of the most perfect years right? for viewing the Aurora Borealis. Mm. And it runs from now, as I said, right through to about. April next year, the, the, the lights will appear. Sometimes yeah. they're brighter than others. It's it's just a just phenomenon depends. of nature. Yeah. yeah, but you can go up to a place called Kicking Horse, which has got a great name. Some of these you can imagine Wild West and guys still on their, you know, riding their horses through town, can't you? In the, the old Yukon, the gold district of, of Canada. So that's something you might like to do as well. So there's a, a wide option. And as I said, the Rocky Mountain Rail, any of the rail journeys in Canada are quite fantastic. They do four different journeys but the Rockies are the one that's probably the more well-known. Take a lot of hassle out of uh, driving too. Well, it does, particularly in winter, you know, with yeah. snow chains and conditions. If, it's that black ice. In black ice, the, which we're the, not used to no. really. I mean, and of course their winters there are far more severe than our winters. Yeah. And But the skiing is fantastic, and some of the ski resorts you can go to with the range of runs they've got, you oh. know, and, and quite inexpensive. Like our skiing really, I mean, well, our cost of living in Australia, as we all know, has risen a lot in the last decade. And you can go to Canada and even places in Europe now, and even though I know you've got to get an airfare to get there, but your actual cost of skiing is much more reasonable than it is here. And it just be thousands of places to ski. Yeah. <laughs> oh absolutely there's yes. so many in Canada and they're, and they're all great I mean Australians tend to head to Whistler because it's just north of Vancouver and it's easy to get to but there's lots of others scattered between there and Jasper particularly along that Rockies area where you can get a number of wonderful ski resorts at quite reasonable prices and you can even do sleigh rides and you know all those lovely things that we, we don't get to experience down yes, south but yes. um, so yeah just consider it. Canada is a, is a beautiful destination People are very friendly, they're they're very much like us in a lot of ways. You know, we've got our out, they're more outdoorsy like we are and want to do outdoor things and yeah. really into that lifestyle. So you'll feel very welcome in Canada. It's a great destination. Talking travel for our sponsor, Travel World on King and Sally Lucas is with me and we're talk we're going trekking on the Kokoda track. I tell you, I haven't done it, so, I mean, I can't claim that at all. Uh, my husband has, a lot of uh, my friends have, including a, a colleague at work has just come back, so I'll, I'll get all the up-to-date info from her today. Your husband did it not long ago, didn't uh, he? Ah, a couple of years ago now. He oh, did it. Okay, yeah, then. he did uh, Nepal last year, you might be thinking of that one. Ah, oh, that's it. Yeah, he's a bit of a, a must, mountain freak. He must be fit. Yeah, well, the Kakadot track, you do certainly have to be fit because your days of trekking can be anything between eight and ten hours. Every day Mm. So there's no rest days But you know It's become so famous I suppose As Because it was the scene Of some of the bloodiest Conflicts in the Second World War And today It's considered one of The world's classic Overland walks And you're crossing The mighty Owen Stanley range And it's a tough trek And really is only suitable for the fit, adventurous and prepared. You really do need to do quite a lot of preparation for this trek. Now, the shortest is about, the actual trek itself is about eight to nine days and there are various different durations depending on how much time they give you in Port Moresby before or after, you know, to to sort of get yourself prepared and also to give you a little bit of wind down time at the end because you yeah. really deserve it. Um, and as I said, you, you're following... Um, an incre- incredible mountain passes, and I know from what my husband has told me, and he's actually got a, a fantastic map he's got mounted on the wall, and it's just like peaks on a graph. This is to give you an idea how steep. Can you imagine going to the top of the graph to the peak and then down to the bottom of the graph again and up and very, down? Very quickly. <laughs> that is what it's like. So it's not just physically hard for you, you know, for your heart, Rate and everything going up. It's very hard on the knees and the legs yeah, coming down. Yeah, coming down, can yeah. be very tough on that. And if you're lucky that it hasn't had a lot of rain, it's great. But if you happen to be there like our poor soldiers with all that equipment on them, trudging through you know, a foot of mud and slush, you can imagine it's pretty soul-destroying. So you really do have to be prepared. In the great... Fuzzy Wuzzy Angels, yeah, the Fuzzy Wuzzy Angels, and there's only one left, and um, uh, yeah, and and they were just amazing. They just went and helped all those soldiers, you know, during the war and and helped move them, and it was an incredible thing to do. So, I mean, it, it is a heartbreaker, as we said, but you will come away from a sense of achievement and also understand what it must have been or try and understand I don't think you'll ever understand we haven't been in war we're lucky as as younger people but what it must have been like for these men you know and in, the, in these times when they were just had very little food or decent food lots of equipment lots of bad weather and, you know, you're doing it with porters and all you've got is your day pack. And that terrain too. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, But it is something that more and more Australians feel they want to do, you know, and they feel they want that, I guess, affinity to try and understand what our soldiers went through when this, this was achieved. And the fact that they did actually, you know, were able to win that section of, of the war eventually, even though at great loss of life. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like... Uh... Gallipoli isn't it? It is it's and it's time. so close to us and I guess that's why we go there. I mean it's a lot further for us to go to Gallipoli or to go to the Somme battlefields in front, you know, France and Belgium and so on but yeah. I mean here is, is more accessible. It's a shorter flight and it's a shorter duration. So How long it, are we looking to fly there? Uh, your flight, well you usually have to go to Brisbane with a connecting flight there mm-hmm. aren't any direct services out of Sydney right. so you've got a flight to Brisbane and then usually you, the way the flights work from memory if they haven't changed, they're usually morning which means you sometimes have to go up to Brisbane and Night before, because it's an early morning flight that gets you up here about lunchtime. So you know it's it's quite a short distance by comparison to flying. You know, twenty three hours to 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 Europe. Yeah, that's so. But it is a wonderful thing. So I mean, if it's something you are thinking of doing, do your research. There's lots of good books out there on the Kakoda Trek, and you know just make sure you do do as much walking as you can in as mountainous terrain as you can. I know my husband did a lot in Rock. He found there's lots of good ups and downs there that trained him for it and also he used to go down and they'd, they'd carpool and meet some guys in Sydney who are in their group and they go through the Keringai National Park. Oh yeah, And that's got a lot of really steep ups and downs. And again, the Wattigans is another area that you could train in you as well. Have, uh, several adventures just in training. <laughs> if, absolutely. But the more you do, obviously, the better prepared yeah, the, you are. The you yeah, be, yeah, so. Another thing I thought I'd mention, that I don't know whether it's hit our newspapers this week, Simon, but um, Newcastle and Sydney have just been selected as 2012 World Festival and Event Cities by the International Festivals and Events Association. Now, this was made at their 57th Annual Convention and Expo in Denver, Colorado, and the criteria to be selected as a festival city um, is community leadership, and ongoing concerted efforts and support to provide a positive local environment that encourages the success and growth of festivals and events. So I don't know whether this has been exposed much at all, but I think, isn't that fantastic? I mean, this is a a nice vote of confidence again. for a real slap on the back, isn't it? Well, we got in the Lonely Planet, you know, top 10, and now we're saying that it's, yeah, it's a real boost for, you know, us as a, a well, our largest regional city in Australia, I guess, aren't we now? So, yeah, and of course, they're talking about all the events we hold here and And we're getting more and more, as we know, with the transplant games and all sorts of things. And, you know, we have so many um, events in the vineyards now. And we're getting more and more, which is just fantastic for Newcastle. But, yeah, feather in our cap. Tourism industry with the global financial crisis, any little bit you can get is a a big bonus. Well, it is, isn't it? And I guess we we are a bit down on incoming tourism because of the dollar situation, but our outbound tourism is growing at a rate of knots, as you can imagine. Aussie Aussie dollar very handy. That's right. So there you go. That's it for another edition of Talking Travel. Thanks, Sally Lucas. Have a great long weekend. Look forward to catching up to you again, same time next week.